0: Welcome to uh, church. Um, It's good to see everyone again. And tonight we are concluding with our Abide series. So if you are joining us for the very first time tonight, you are really so welcome here. You'll see in your welcome pack that you received, and if you didn't get one, please don't leave without getting one but there's a prophetic word in your welcome pack as well. So we have a team of people that are praying just over you, Um, and then we're trusting that God will give a word. We don't know who it is that's going to get the word, but we trust that the Holy Spirit gives the right word to the right person. So if you look in your welcome pack, there's a specific prophetic word just for you, and we trust that it will encourage you. Okay, Um, so we're concluding with our Abide series And we've been looking over the past couple of weeks just at some different aspects of what it means to abide in the Word of God, but also what the effect of abiding is in our lives. Now, we started off the first week with the the truth that uh, the Word is Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when we speak about the Word and getting into our Bibles and reading our Bibles, we're not calling one another to read a book, okay? Um, there might be some other books that are more gripping, if you, if, um, like if it's just a pure novel to you. There might be some stories that get to the point quicker, um, especially when you get through some of the historical chapters. Like, why do I have to learn all of this? But this is not a book. This is a person, This is God making Himself known to us, and when we get to spend time in our Bibles, in the Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this book actually becomes alive to you, and not only are you getting to read the Bible, but the the Word of God starts to take shape and form in you, which is great news, all right? So, the Word of God gets to abide and live and remain in us. Um, we spoke about the, the word guiding our path and the word feeding our spirit and it causes our lives to bear fruit and it causes our lives to glorify God. And then Jesus says in John 15 that when our lives bear fruit and we glorify God, we show ourselves to be His disciples. So that's all part of the abide theme. And today we are concluding with the word keeps us from evil. The Word keeps us from evil. Okay, let's pray into this. (laughs) Father, we thank You again just for Your Word, and we want to come and acknowledge again that Your Word is You, Jesus. So as we open up Scripture tonight, as we choose to step into Your presence, we pray, Jesus, that You will make Yourself known to us. We pray that You will reveal Yourself in, in new ways to us, that You would make Yourself plainly visible to us tonight. Lord, our desire is not just to come to church and to tick a box and say, okay, we've done it and we'll try again next week. Our desire is to know you, the author of life, life itself. Our desire is to walk with you. Our desire is to be known by you fully, Jesus. And we bring ourselves in, in all of who we are um, to you tonight, Lord, and we ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the word keeps us from evil. So if you think about evil, all right, evil, uh, um, there's like that little, um, what was that movie's name? Um, Austin Powers was there. <laughs> anyway, but if you think about evil and you think that the, world, the, the word will keep you from evil, what are some of the evils that you would want the word to keep you from? What are some of the evils out there that you would want the word to keep you from? And it might be, um, yes, share with me that joke. I want to hear what evils it is. (laughs) It might be your neighbor. Maybe your neighbor is um, very scary or just weird. Um, Maybe it's your boss. Maybe there's people at your workplace that has an agenda against your life. And that can be an evil. They're like, God, please protect me from that. Maybe it is something that is very real and you look at what's happening in our country and you're saying, yes, God, in my neighborhood, I'm, I'm praying and trusting that you will keep me from the evil that's in my neighborhood, that you would keep my life safe, that you would keep me from the, the effects of crime in our country. Maybe you're thinking about your future and your career prospects and thinking, Yo, I don't know if I have a lot of opportunities and I pray that the word will keep me from the evil that might stand against my career. And, and all of these things are valid, right? Like your physical safety is a valid thing for you to carry in your heart and say, Jesus, I would love for you to keep me safe, okay? It's not like if you're driving home and you're fearful of, am I going to get home safe? It's not like to think about your future and thinking, sure, will I get a job one day? Will I have sufficient finances to look after my family one day? So there are these evils that we can say, yeah, these are current things in my heart that I would really love the word to keep me from. But I want to share with us something tonight, because there's a greater evil at play that we need to be aware of. So Luke 22, verse 31, and this is like the encouraging scripture that Jesus wakes you up with, okay? And it says, "Then the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Imagine Jesus waking you up with that scripture. <laughs> Satan has asked for you. He's got your number. He knows where you live. There's an evil for you to be weary of. Weary of. Aware of. Weary of. Okay, not tired of. Weary of. So Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, when we think about the Bible, when we think about God, and we sang that song that God is a good Father, and we think about God having a good plan for your life, and He has good intentions for your future, and He does want you to live a blessed life, an abundant life, a prosperous life, Um, and all of these things are true, but there are also other things that are true, that there is also an enemy at play, and he knows your name, (laughs) He also has an agenda with your life. And the Bible tells us a little bit about this. So, and I'll go through some scriptures quickly. But in 1 Peter 5, it says that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to play with. Now, the word says devour. Lions don't play with people. Okay. So the enemy, Satan, is prowling around looking for people whom he can devour. So that's an enemy. Then in John 8, Jesus says, when he, speaking about the devil, speaks, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resource, his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So this enemy is a liar, the father of lies. He speaks no truth. And part of this lies, he also speaks deception. He deceives you into believing something to be true, which in actuality is Not true. That's not great. Then John 10:10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, "I have come to give you life and life in abundance." But the enemy has a very real plan to steal, kill, and to destroy. Now, Jesus goes on and he warns the effects of the plans of the enemy over our lives can lead to Matthew 24. Jesus says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So, Jesus says, in the end times, because lawlessness increases, of you are aware of the fact that lawlessness in the world increases, okay, Because of lawlessness increasing, those whom at one stage loved God deeply, their love will grow cold. Then in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, and I think this one's on the board, it says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So the scripture gives us this warning that there's a very real enemy with a very real agenda to your life and it can have a very detrimental effect on your life that in the last days, many will fall away from the faith. Now, when we speak about it, when you've maybe thought about stuff that you'd think, yeah, Lord, this is a very real evil. Maybe you are battling a sickness in, in your physical body tonight, and you're thinking, yeah, Lord, this is an evil because it might take my life, and that's a very real thing. I'm not belittling any of the things that we are trusting for that God will keep us safe from, but friends, there is a greater evil that we need to be aware of. Scripture also teaches us that what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul. So there is a much greater thing at stake that the enemy is fighting for. The enemy is not so much concerned about your bank balance. But if he can use your bank balance to take you away from Christ, either in the positive or the negative, he will do it. But he's not so much concerned about your bank balance. He's not so much concerned about your physical health, but if you can use your physical health to influence your eternity, he will use it. So there's a very real enemy at play, and Jesus says to, to, Peter, uh, to Simon Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you. But here's the good news. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So there's this very real enemy and Jesus says to Simon, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, that your faith will endure, that your faith will persevere, that you will overcome right up until the end. And when you turn back, that you will go and strengthen your brothers. Because not only has Satan asked for you, he's also asked for your friends. Is asked for your family, is asked for your neighbor, is asked for the people on your campus, in your school, at your workplace. So when you turn back, go and strengthen your brothers. So Jesus says, I have prayed for you. Now, if you go to your Bible, and I want you to go there either via paper format or electronic format, but John chapter 17, and we'll see this prayer of Jesus. John chapter 17. So while you're paging there, um, it's uh, it's quite a vulnerable space in John chapter 17, leading up to Jesus being captured in the garden, building up to his crucifixion. But in this space, the first couple of verses, Jesus is praying for himself. All right, so he's spending time with his Father and he's praying for himself. And then from verse six, he transitions to pray for his disciples. So if you are there, say I. If you are not yet there, say I, I, I. Okay, no one. You're there. All right. So I'm going to read. You can follow along. I'm reading from the New King James if you want to go to that translation on your app. Otherwise, you can follow along with whatever translation you have. I'm going to read from verse 6 up until verse 21. So Jesus speaks to His Father and He says, I have manifested Your name to the men whom You have given Me out of the world. They were Yours. You gave them to Me, and they have kept Your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled, speaking about Judas." But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Powerful prayer. Um, and you can go and spend time on just the words of Jesus being prayed over your life. Now, we, we have these two contrasts, okay? So we have a, the truth that there is a very real enemy that is prowling around looking for those whom he can devour, who has a very real agenda for your life, to steal, kill, and to destroy. So that's the one truth. Then on the other side, we have our champion, Jesus. We have this great Redeemer, the Holy One, God who became flesh, who died on the cross for our sins, who conquered sin and death, and the evil one who reigned victorious and is now seated alongside the Father in the heavenly places, at his right hand, and he conquered the evil one. So we have two truths, but you have this one truth that surpasses or dispositions the other truth. So yes, the enemy has a plan for your life, but what Jesus has accomplished, who Jesus is, is a greater truth than this truth. Does it make sense? Okay, so I'll give you an, an, um, like an example that maybe helps us to understand it. There's a story coming out of the German concentration camps in World War II, where um, the news that Germany had surrendered the the war, surrendered the war, yeah, um, reached the guards before it reached the prisoners, which makes sense, obviously. So then the prisoners would wake up the one morning, and all of a sudden, the prison doors are open, and the guards are nowhere to be found. And then they're like, okay, is this real? Is this a joke? Is it a test? Is this one creative way for them to say, oh, you stepped out of your cell, you tried to escape, and we kill you? So was that the thing, or is this actually real? Now, one of the survivors said the following, Victor Frankl, said, timidly, we looked around and glanced at each other questioningly. Then we ventured a few steps out of the camp. This time, no orders were shouted at us, nor was there any need to duck quickly to avoid a blow or a kick. Freedom, we repeated to ourselves, and yet we could not grasp it. Must be quite a thing for you to be in such a state of captivity, and then for one morning to wake up and the doors are open and you are a free person. Now, friends, I don't know when you got born again, I don't know when you got when you encountered Jesus, but the moment you become born again, there is a liberator. That took you out of your prison and set you into a position of being free. But you and I can remain behind the prison doors of a lie. You can remain in a space where the fear of the enemy still dictates your future. But you have a liberator, you have a champion, you have a king who has conquered the evil one so that you no longer have to live by fear because the love of God casts out all fear and you can live by faith. But there is a um, a position of faith that you you and I have to take to walk out a new truth. So in this space, we see that the enemy has a very real plan for your life, but Jesus has done something for you that enables you to walk out of that prison door and no longer be held captive by the enemy. He doesn't need to control your future any longer. There's a space and a way for you and, I, you and I to live victoriously over the schemes and the plans of the enemy. So how do we act out this truth? Right, so Jesus prayed for us that we would be kept from the evil one. But there's in verse 6, Jesus says the following, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They have kept your word. Now friends, if you want to live a life of victory over the enemy, if you want to live a life of freedom, if you want to live in the fullness of God's purposes and plans over your life, if you want to access all of the things that has already been made available by the gospel, keep the word. Keep the word. By keeping the word, we will keep ourselves safe from the evil one. Now, last year we did a sermon series on the Word of God, and there was this video clip that speaks about the power and the impact of God's Word. And um, I'm going to ask Ethan to quickly show us that video clip again.
1: There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they polled 40,000 In the U.S. from 8 to 80 and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with scripture right and they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study it, they weren't even looking for this and this is kind of became the highlight of the study right um, when we're in the scripture one time a week and that could be church on Sunday that's pastor saying you're open your Bible, we hear the message, one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm gonna spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. But here was a profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. Drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Crazy. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question: how much time are you spending in scripture? If they're in the scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now on a Flip positive side, sharing your faith wow. jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's Word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there.
0: If you go into the research of how this Bible was formed, that you and I get to hold one in our hands, people died so that you and I can hold the Word of God. But friends, this is not just a book, a collection of stories that's brought together and people thumb-sucked and said, oh yeah, this makes sense, let's put this together. The Word became flesh, and God chooses to reveal Himself through His Word. And when you sit with the Scripture, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture starts to become alive in you. And as you read your Bible, as you sit under the authority of Jesus... Jesus starts to be formed inside of you. There's, it's no wonder that certain areas of your life will change. What's interesting for me about that study is that when you're in scripture once or twice a week, it has a negligible effect on your life. Because you're starting to learn about something that sounds awesome, but you do not get to experience it yourself. There's a power that you become aware of, but you do not get to experience that in your own life. Then you become discouraged then the gospel starts to lose its power to you. Your prayer life is affected. Your intimacy with God is affected. Your boldness to approach God when you've messed up is affected. Your ability to share with others is affected because you have lost confidence because you do not see this power that you read about in your own life because we're not really abiding in the word. We're only tasting on the sidelines of the, the crumbs that are falling off the table. But when you and I get to a space where we acknowledge that this Word of God is Christ Himself, and we start to bring our lives under the authority of Scripture, and we keep the Word, you will see the Word taking shape in your life. And I think sometimes we try to overcomplicate this to say, no, no, but it's too difficult for me. I'm waiting to get a different translation so that I can understand it better. Okay, don't start with the King James Version maybe, but even if that's all that you have, For centuries, that's all that people had. The power lies not in the translation. The power lies in the Holy Spirit revealing Christ to you from Scripture. Get into your Bible, and whatever Jesus is telling you, you obey, and you will see change in your life. You don't have to understand everything to obey it. You don't have to be a super intellectual or educated person or be able to cross-reference your whole Bible before you can start applying it. Sometimes we make these excuses like, no, I'm still studying through the Bible and then I'm going to discover what God is telling me. Just get into your Bible and read it and obey it. Keep the word. Jesus says, they have kept my word. And then there are certain fruits that are produced in our lives. And I'll touch on some of them tonight. But the first principle, and throughout the whole Abide series, we've been speaking about this. And friends, I do want to reiterate again In Christianity, you will not get beyond obeying Jesus. There is no Christianity option available where you get to be a Christian and not obey Jesus. That type of Christianity doesn't exist. Okay, I think sometimes we want that to exist because it's easier, but it doesn't. But here's the good thing, that the the very things that you require to actually obey Jesus is found in His Word. Just start to obey Him to start to apply the things that his word is teaching you. So we keep his word. Then verse, uh, the second point is his joy, Jesus' joy will be fulfilled in us. Verse 13, Jesus said that, that his joy will be fulfilled in us. Now, when I was reading this and praying through this, we're talking about Jesus. Okay, just to create the scenario again. Jesus, the author of life, Jesus, the creator of the universe, God, has a joy, things that make him joyful, that you and I can have a fulfillment in. I don't think we understand that. You see, you and I have certain things that we think, if I get this new job, I will have joy. If I get married one day, I will have joy. If I get this breakthrough, I will have joy. If I have this prayer answered, I will have joy. And it might be true to an extent. But friends, there is a joy that Jesus carries in His heart that you and I can be participators of. I'm pretty sure whatever makes Jesus joyful um, trumps whatever makes me joyful. But there's a joy that you and I get to be um, invited into by abiding in the Word of God, by keeping the Word of God. Now, that should encourage your heart. Now, Jesus goes on and He says in verse 15, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world. (laughs) Some of you are like, Jesus, why? (laughs) Now is a good time for you to come back. Have you seen what's happening in the world? Have you seen what's happening in my life? Now would be a good time for you to come back. And Jesus prays and he says, I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world. Because there is something that God wants to deposit in us that is far greater than any of our circumstances or experiences in this world alone. And it's also not just about us, and we'll get to that now, now. But Jesus prays specifically that we will not be taken out of this world, but that we will be kept from the evil one. So there's a joy, there's a purpose that we get to be part of, that gets to be fulfilled in us when we remain in the Word of God. Now, I don't think this joy that gets to be fulfilled in us is something that we could explain to one another accurately, but I think it is something that you and I get to participate and experience when we step out in faith, by simply just keeping the Word, by starting to obey the Word. The third thing is the Word will sanctify us. So, they have kept the Word, which keeps them from the evil one. Then, by keeping the word, Jesus' joy will be fulfilled in us, and then the word will sanctify us. Verse 17, Jesus prays and he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, the word sanctify means to be set apart, to be made holy, to be made perfect. Now, that means that God is at work in our lives to sort out things that are not yet sorted out. Now, we don't like that. <laughs> it's like stepping into a space and saying, yeah, there's going to be areas in my life where I know God is going to pinpoint, and I don't necessarily want that to happen, so I'd rather not go to the Word. Now, friends, I don't know if any of you have ever gone through something like this, but when, when you get to a certain age in life, not, I'm not there yet, but you get to a certain age in life where annually or bi-annually you go for checkups just to make sure your body is still healthy. Now, if you have a history of cancer or heart attacks or stuff like that in your family and you go for a checkup, there is this fear element of what if the test comes back positive? Okay, now what's, what's worse, to live in the fear of a positive result or to never get checked? You see, when you get checked early, treatment can start early. Let's say it is cancer. And for the fear of maybe having cancer, you never get your body checked. It doesn't make sense, right? Now, in the same way, the, when, the, when the Bible speaks about the word keeping us from evil, it's not just speaking about the physical presence of the enemy, the devil. You see, there's evil inside of every single one of us. There's a nature, a sinful nature inside of every single one of us, and a sinful nature only produces sin. Kind only produces after kind. Now, the great news is that the very reason why Jesus came from heaven to earth was to deal with our sinful nature. And a large part of our message tonight is stuff that Jesus did that we get to be benefactors of, that you and I did not have to do So Jesus came into this world, and He took upon Himself our sinful nature, took the punishment that went with it by dying on the cross. He rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, and ascended into heaven. So there's a space that when you get born again, your sinful nature has been dealt with on the cross, and you receive a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So there's a newness of life that you get to now walk out, a new nature that you did not work for, which is good news. But now there's a sanctification that needs to take place. There's fragments of the old life still in our hearts. And sin acts like a cancer. If it's undealt with, it will grow and grow and grow, and ultimately it will destroy the body. Now, we do not know the extent to where sin can take you. But it takes you towards death. <laughs> so when Jesus says that, when He prays over you and me, and He says, "Lord, I pray that they will be sanctified," it means that God has a plan that your life can be rid of the traces of sin that's still in your heart. Because if it is left unattended to, it'll only take you to a place of death. Who, if you would like to go to a place of death? Who, if you would like to be made more in the image of Christ? Hence, we embrace sanctification. (laughs) Now, one of the ways that, that God works out this process of sanctification is the same as it is in your natural body. You see, when there's a part of your body that is broken or hurt or bruised, then the rest of the body acts together to bring healing to the one part of the body. And in the same way, God adds us, when we become born again, into the body. And part of the sanctification, part of the shaping in the image of God happens through the body. So when you participate in spiritual family, that's you participating in the sanctification process. When you serve somewhere on a Sunday, you are allowing someone to get close enough to you so that you can be sanctified. When you join a discipleship group and you allow people to speak into your life, you are intentionally and deliberately allowing people into the vulnerable places of your heart. Why would you do that? Because you have a desire to be sanctified. Because we have a desire to become like Jesus. Jesus says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. We open up ourselves to one another. Not because we, um, we, we, we treasure discipleship. No, we open up our, our lives to one another because we treasure Christ. Because we treasure becoming like Christ. Therefore, we value discipleship. And then the last one, the Word will send us. So, how do, we, how do we overcome the evil one? How do we remain kept from the evil one? Point number one was, we keep the Word. When you keep the Word, the joy of Christ will be fulfilled in you. Okay, can I hear an amen from somewhere? The joy of Jesus will be fulfilled in your life. Friends, that should cause an excitement to arise in your heart, that there is a joy that belongs to Jesus that can also belong to you. Praise Him. Then, He prays that we will be sanctified by the truth. If you keep the Word, the Word will cleanse you. The Word will sanctify you. And then the fourth thing, the Word will send us. Verse 18 and verse 20, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So in the same way that the Father sent Jesus to seek and to save the lost, so that they can be born again, in the same way Jesus now sends us. And then he says, I'm not praying only for these disciples that I have before me now. I'm also praying for those who will believe because of their testimony, because of their words. Like I said earlier, Satan has not only asked for you. He's asked for your brother. He's asked for your sister. He's asked for your mother, your father, your neighbor, your friend, your best friend. He's asked for them. And there's a, an, a, a word of truth that Jesus entrusts to us. And when you abide in the word, when you keep the word, your life will start to bear fruit beyond just your life. And you will start to take a message that you have experienced personally to those who do not know it yet. Because Satan has also asked for them. Jesus says in John 8, 31 to 32, he said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think we said it in one of the, the Sundays that there's there is no such thing as a Christian and then a disciple. Okay? You don't get Christians, and then you get radical Christians, and we call them disciples. You get those who have said yes to following Jesus, and they are called disciples. And Jesus says, if we abide in His Word, if we keep His Word, we are His disciples. And disciples, like I said, keep the Word. Disciples bear much fruit. Disciples, through abiding, experience newness of life. They glorify God. They overcome. They endure right until the end. They do not give up. They do not shrink back. They do not lose faith. Their love does not grow cold. That's a disciple. But then a disciple also makes disciples. A disciple also makes disciples. I'm going to ask the the band to come forward. So we've been preaching a lot through different elements of the word and what it means to abide. And I remember um, last year somewhere, we, we had a prayer, a sermon series on prayer, and the series' name was, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, based on that scripture in Matthew where um, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and I remember last year somewhere, I think it was towards the end of last year, someone came to me and they were sharing like a, a problem they're going through, and I asked a simple question like, so have you prayed about this? And they're like, no, I'm not really sure how to pray. And I was thinking to myself, if only, if only we had a series somewhere that it would equip the church how to pray. If only. Now, friends, what I want to guard us against is becoming Sunday Christians, where you go to church on a Sunday, you listen to a message, And it's great. And it's nice hype. And for six weeks, you get to learn about prayer. For six weeks, you get to learn about what it means to abide. And then it's forgotten. (laughs) It's not impacted your life. Because the goal of Sundays is not for you just to hear the word and say, great, I've heard the word. That's my one for the week done. It's so that the word can be formed in us. And you and I need to apply the word. Now I do hope and I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that after these couple of weeks and even if you've joined us tonight for the very first time that you would walk away with a deep revelation that this Bible that you and I get to read is not a book, it's a person, it's Christ. And when you choose to open up your Bible and you bring yourself into the presence of Jesus friends, I need us to really understand that when you are lonely and you are sitting at home and you are depressed And you're thinking to yourself, if only I could spend time with Jesus. And you open your Bible and you realize, I'm in the presence of God. Because His Word became flesh. That's the power of Scripture. And when you you allow this Word to be formed in you, your life will change. I promise you, not because of my promise, but because of the Word. When you abide in Him, your life will bear much fruit. Your life will glorify God. Your prayers will be effective. And your joy will be full. The joy of a holy God will be yours. Friends, no person can touch the joy of Jesus. No circumstance can touch the joy of Jesus. And that joy can be yours. But you and I have to act out the truth. You and I have to make a decision to walk out what is true. So Jesus says to Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you. And then Jesus says to him, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, go and strengthen your brothers. And then Peter says to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now, if you know the story of Peter, he was the zealous one. All right. He was the one that cut off the ear. Of the guy in the garden that came to take Jesus. You dare not touch Jesus. And here Jesus comes and he gives him a, um, like a caution, right? Now, when we understand the gospel, when we understand that we serve a victorious king, a Jesus whom is alive, who defeated the devil, you and I do not need to be fearful of the evil one. But you and I would be very foolish to be ignorant of his plans. So Jesus comes and he gives him a caution. Satan has asked for you. Satan has asked for you. And Peter's like, now he can come. (laughs) You and me, Jesus, I'll die for you. I've got your back. And Jesus says to him, Peter, before the day is over, you're going to deny me three times. Now, the good news about the story is that after Jesus' resurrection, he revealed himself to his disciples, and he also restored Peter three times. But there's an element of the gospel That will always be missing in your life because of pride. And in this story, we see a sense of spiritual or religious pride. Like, no, Jesus, I've got this. I've got the scripture. That scripture that we read just now, I've been quoting it as well this whole week. Um, I can quote the scripture. And we think we can stand on our own strength or our own abilities. We think that we are good Christians. And because we've been a good Christian and I've been spending all my time in the Bible, I've got this. There's an independence that our pride often produces where I've got this on my own. Yeah, there's stuff that I need to work on, but it's me and Jesus and I'll go sort it out on my own. I don't need people to speak into my life. I don't need this discipleship thing. Um, Like maybe that's for new Christians. Maybe that's for, for new believers. I've been saved longer. I'm okay. I don't need this connect group thing. And we have this independent journey, you and, you and me, Jesus. But the problem is that Jesus didn't design or set it up that way. So therefore, it doesn't work. And then the third one is just a rebellious pride, where you don't want to acknowledge what the Bible calls sin as sin. And you would read your Bible, and you're like, yeah, maybe this is a problem for them, but I'm okay with this, Lord. And there's certain movies that I can watch that other Christians shouldn't watch, but I'm okay, I'm mature. No, I'm just rebellious. And I'm looking for excuses to keep on living in the sin I want to live in. And pride will always keep you from the gospel. Humility is the soil for the gospel to be cultivated in our lives. And friends, God has gifted us with spiritual family because it teaches us humility. It teaches us. You weren't born a humble person. Okay? If your parents took videos of you when you were a child, go and look at them. We aren't necessarily very humble children. <laughs> we have to be taught to be humble. That's why God gives us one another. Now, before I go into the, the last scripture, um, we're going to have communion tonight. And I want you to go and get communion and get back to your seat. Okay. Okay. So Revelation twelve eleven, it says that they have conquered him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Now, we're going to do communion in in two parts tonight, and we're going to do it together. And and I think a part of this series is that there's a deep truth available to every single one of us the good news about this whole series is that the access into this truth wasn't done by you it wasn't accomplished by your works nothing you did made this truth available to you it was the work of Christ now that's really good news friends because when you and I look in the mirror we'll find enough reasons why we are disqualified when we reflect on our own lives over the past week, we'll find enough reasons why we'll be disqualified from abiding, living, walking with a perfect holy God. But praise the Lord that it was by His good works that we get to access Him, that we get to be with Him, that we get to abide with Him. And He says when we abide with Him, He abides with us. His Word abides in us. His love abides in us, it remains, it doesn't go away. So we're going to start with the blood. Okay? So the scripture says, by the blood of the lamb they overcame. Now the good news is that when the blood of Jesus was poured out for you and me, it dealt with sin. It cleansed you. That when you are born again, the Bible says that your spirit that was dead is now made alive. And Paul writes in the book of Ephesians that your spirit is raised with Christ and seated alongside Him in the heavenly places. So when you are a born again believer, you are not obeying Jesus or keeping the word so that you don't go to hell. That's a fear driven theology. For those who are in Christ, um, Eternal life is no longer the question. Your eternal life was purchased by the good works of Jesus. That's good news, friends. All right? It means that you can now live out your Christian life not in fear of judgment. The Bible is very clear. All of us will one day stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account to how we have lived our lives. But praise be unto Jesus that whether you go to heaven or hell is not dependent on your good or bad works It was dependent on the good works of Jesus, and they were perfect. And when we acknowledge that we are one with Christ, then we are seated alongside Him in the heavenly places. And this blood of Jesus, it silences the accusations of the enemy over your life. And some of you need to, tonight, as we drink of the blood of Christ, wash off the accusations of the enemy over your identity. He is no longer going to keep on defining who you are. Yes, the things in your past are real. But remember, there is a truth that is greater than your past. For those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We are no longer going to allow the old to define us. And we declare the blood of Christ that cleanses us over our own bodies, over our own lives. It silences the enemy tonight. But then while we're going to do this, we were praying before the service as well. That we believe that God wants to come and also touch people physically. And if you're here tonight and you're sick in your body, then I want you to stand. We have, if we have no sick people, that'll be amazing. Okay? Anyone else that is sick, anyone else that has been battling with something and the doctors has not really been able to give you an answer to what's wrong and you've almost accepted this condition as your truth. So I'm going to ask you to remain standing, just so that I don't forget. Then uh, I want to make a second response moment. And this might also be a bit vulnerable. But for some of you, when, we think, when you think about heaven and hell, and if I were to ask you tonight, if you die tonight, do you go to heaven, your response would be, I don't know, or I hope so. Um, And you find yourself looking more towards yourself for salvation than you look towards Jesus. And tonight you want to step into the fullness of what it means to abide in Christ. And it is a surrender. It is a giving over of my life to say, Jesus, I choose to follow and obey you. I choose to be a person that keeps your word. And I want to create that invitation for you tonight. If you want to step into a space tonight and say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I don't want to rely on myself, but I want your blood to cleanse me, to purify me, to declare me holy. And I want you to stand. know it's a vulnerable space but this has got nothing to do with people (laughs) Friends, this is an invitation from Jesus to be done with the old way of living to be done by being led by either your emotions or be done by being led by the accusations of the enemy over your life where he keeps on defining your identity and your future and you're saying tonight I'm done with the old way of living Anyone else before we pray? Thank you. All right, so we're going to drink of the blood together. And for those who are standing and trusting for healing, we're just going to align ourselves with what the Word says. And as we partake tonight, I want you just to thank Jesus for His healing over your body. And name whatever it is that you're trusting for specifically. And we're just putting our faith together as a church to say, Jesus, we're asking you to bring healing. And for those of you who are stepping in and saying, Jesus, I'm giving you all of my life. Just have a moment where you voice that, where you say, Jesus, as I'm drinking of your blood tonight, I'm receiving the forgiveness of sin and the newness of life. My life belongs to you. And then you enjoy communion with your father so let's drink of the blood amen okay you can sit if if you want to receive more prayer afterwards um, please do come to the front Um, if If you decided to to surrender your life to Jesus tonight, maybe for the first time, please do come to the front. We'd love to keep on praying for you. You guys can sit, unless you want to stand already for the next part. (laughs) Now, the body of Jesus was broken for our sake. His body was broken so that we can receive healing. But tonight, we're going to make a little bit of a different declaration. Jesus said that as father sent me so I am sending you and Jesus said that I'm not just praying for these ones that are in front of me so he's not just praying for us that are here tonight but there are people who are waiting to hear about Jesus from you and me and tonight as we break the body we're declaring and we're aligning ourselves to say Jesus as your body was broken for my sake I'm giving my life to you. I'm giving my body to you. And may it be broken for your sake. May it be broken for your kingdom's sake. God has called us to be a people who abide in Him. When we abide in Him, we are His disciples. And disciples make disciples. I'm going to ask us to stand. And for some of you, this might be a scary thing, but it's not up to you, all right? So let go of the fear. It's not up to you to try and figure out what it should look like. It's just you saying yes to Jesus, and He is faithful to lead you. That's His nature. So I want us to, and we'll do it now, I'll explain first. Uh, You break the bread, and then you pray a prayer where you just say, Jesus, here is my life you have the right to do with it as you see fit let's do that together stretch out your hands just in a way of receiving from God. Lord, you spoke to your disciples and you you commissioned them to go into all the world and to make disciples of, of all the nations. You told them to wait in the upper room and they'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them so that they can be your witnesses. And in the same way, Lord, in deep dependency and humility, we ask in Jesus' name, would you come and fill us with your spirit? And would you make us be witnesses of this incredible gospel? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You have a word. Cool.
1: So I just want to ask
0: if there's anybody who is battling with anxiety, that they'll just come and pray with me afterwards. Come on, anxiety, all right? If you're battling with anxiety, just hearing about it would make you anxious, so then come. Okay. Um, Friends, we're going to create a space now. The band's just going to sing a song. I don't sure which song. You're welcome to stay and to continue to worship God. We're going to create a space just of ministry in the front. So if you'd like to receive prayer, if you've responded to any of the things, do come and stay behind for prayer. Um, Otherwise, go and have coffee. A quick reminder that tonight registrations for our growth weekends um, ends. So the first one, the victory training. Again, God has orchestrated a life of victory and freedom for you. So come and sign up for victory training. Um, join in and allow God to do a work of freedom and victory in your life. Remember that we have a rule as a church. Money can never be a reason for you not to obey Jesus. Okay? Okay. Victory training costs 250 Rand. Sometimes God will send you on a mission that'll cost you 18,000 Rand. God isn't interested in your financial problems. He wants your obedience, all right? Um, And then spiritual family class, like Danae said, if this is your church and you've not done spiritual family, that is one of your next steps, where we get to explain just what the heart of church is to us, what you can expect from leadership, but also what it means to be an active member in an Every Nation church. Um, God bless you guys and I really pray that the word of God will become will, will come alive to you this week that the word of God which is Christ will come alive to you in this week